So we're going to read in the Old Testament. It's just a short one verse reading in Genesis chapter 49, verse 18. Genesis chapter 49, verse 18. I will set the scene just a little. Jacob is prophesying concerning the future of his offspring, concerning his sons. He's right near the end of his life, and he knows that he is speaking by the power of God's Holy Spirit. At Genesis chapter 49, verse 18, Jacob says, I wait for your salvation, O Lord. It's in between speaking about his sons Dan and Gad. I wait for your salvation, O Lord. The next reading will take in the New Testament comes from the book of Romans chapter 8. So if you turn there. Going to read from verses 18 to 25, Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to 25. Um, the theme that I'm wanting to pick up just in these couple of readings before we get to our actual text is the idea of waiting, waiting for the fulfillment of God's promises. So let's start reading Romans chapter 8, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience." Amen. I'd like you to turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. And so the text that we'll be studying is Luke, chapter 2, verses 25 to 38. Luke, chapter 2, verses 25 to 38. And before I read that, we'll pray. So please join me in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we do give you thanks for your word, the Holy Scriptures. We pray, Father, that you would make our hearts ready to receive the Scriptures for what they truly are, the very words of God. May we be given ears that hear, eyes that see, and hearts that understand and obey. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 25, reading through to verse 38. Hear the word of God. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, 
a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marvelled at what was said about him, and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was eighty-four. She did not depart from the temple, worshipping with fasting and prayer night and day, and coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Amen. May God bless his word to us. I think of all of the amazing things that we're told about in Scripture and all of the things that seem to be incredible if you just think about what's being described to you. One of the scenes that we just read has to be fairly high in that list of amazing things. Think about this. God, who is infinite, immense, almighty, all-powerful, the creator of all things, the upholder of all things. Beyond measuring, beyond our understanding. One of the scriptural phrases that describes God literally describes us being unable to wrap ourselves around him. We can't get around him. He gets around us, as it were. He can surround us. Yet we have a man here. Now, many people assume that he was an old man because he speaks of departing or dying in peace, but he need not necessarily have been terribly old. The man here, this man, picks up a baby, holds that baby in his arms and knows that he is holding in his arms God the Saviour. Truly God, truly man. A baby. That's pretty amazing. A man is holding God, the Son of God, in his hands. We don't know anything much about Simeon other than that his name was Simeon. We don't know. Um, was he a doctor? No idea. Was he a farmer? No idea. Was he a tradesman of some kind? No idea. A holy man, a teacher. No idea. We know none of those things. We know that his name was Simeon. We know that he was waiting desperately for the fulfilment of a promise and that having received the fulfilment of that promise, he was quite happy to go away and die in peace. And you would have to say, no matter how long that took, no matter when it happened, no matter when it came upon him, he had seen the fulfilment of a promise. He had held in his hands the answer to his prayers. In many ways, the most amazing thing that I've ever held in my hands has been the poor children. Each and every one. Amazing. And a grandchild. Amazing. And as much as I love those people, it's kind of nothing compared to holding in your hands the one who is truly God and truly man, 
the one who is the answer to all of God's promises, the one who is the answer to all of our deepest longings, the baby Jesus. So let's, first of all, think a little bit about Simeon himself. We're actually told a lot about Simeon in terms of his character, in terms of the man that he was. We're told he was a man. We're told he was in Jerusalem. We're told his name was Simeon. Now at verse 25, this man was righteous and devout. Righteous and devout. Whenever you read that, don't forget, what that means is he was faithful and believing in the words of God. He wasn't righteous and devout because he had done enough works to make God happy with him and then God proclaimed him to be righteous and devout. Although, obviously, he wouldn't have been called righteous and devout if he were not a man of good character. But he was a man of faith, declared justified in the sight of God. And God declares this man to be righteous and devout. The word devout, it literally means a fearer of God. One who fears God. If he fears God, why does he fear God? He fears God because he knows he's a sinner and he knows that God is a righteous judge of sin. And therefore, you know, expressing it as sort of a simple logical progression, I'm a sinner, I know there is a God, God is a righteous judge of sinners, I therefore fear the judgment of God. He didn't count himself as righteous. He obviously counted himself as a sinner. Otherwise, why fear God? If you're not a sinner, there's no reason to fear God. God is your best friend. He was devout, a fearer of God. He had faith, but he was waiting for something. It says, waiting for the consolation of Israel. Waiting for the consolation of Israel. Consolation, Israel was not walking at peace with its God. Now, in the first instance, Simeon, being a Jew, would have been considering his very own people, the Jews, not walking at peace with their God, lacking consolation, needing consolation, needing to be brought into a right relationship with God. But Israel continues. The Apostle Paul calls the people of God Israel. All the people of God throughout all of history are God's Israel, are God's people. Remember, we share the faith of Abram. This makes us, as it were, Israel. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. You see, he knew that he was a sinner he therefore feared God. He therefore waited for or longed for consolation. Now, one thing that I'm going to try and draw out as we work through this text today is that we're all in a similar situation here. Now, we're saved. We have received the gospel. We know that the Son of God came and died for our sins. We know that he was raised again on the third day. 
But we live in this world and we look around about us at this world and we look around about us at ourselves and the temptations that come our way and our weakness in the face of temptations where there ought to be victory. And what do we long for? You see, we're waiting for something. We're waiting for Jesus. We're waiting for the return of our Saviour. We're waiting for him to bring all things to their right end. So we're waiting, just as Simeon was waiting. Waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now notice this about him. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now, I just once again stretch, stress the point. We don't make the Holy Spirit come to us. The Holy Spirit is God. God proceeding forth from the Father and the Son. God, eternally God, equally God, truly God, a person in the Godhead. God, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit did not come to Simeon because Simeon was righteous and devout. The reason that Simeon was righteous and devout is that the Holy Spirit had come to Simeon. The Spirit it was who awakened his conscience. The Spirit it was who convicted him of his sin. The Spirit it was who awoken with him the desire for forgiveness. The Spirit it was who prompted him to pray, seeking forgiveness. The Spirit it was who awoke in him faith, trusting that God would send forth his Saviour. The Holy Spirit was upon him. You have to read carefully here. It's, it's easy to imagine that Simeon was just a good guy and God was rewarding a good guy, but that is not consistent with Scripture. Scripture tells us in Psalm 14, for example, no one seeks after God, no, not one. It's a fairly complete statement. No one seeks after God. And then he doubles down on it or he makes it twice as forceful. No, not one. So if anyone's seeking after God, God has made them seek after himself. It's God who steps into their lives and our lives and the lives of anyone who might believe. So the Holy Spirit was upon him. The Holy Spirit had come upon many of the people of God in the in, in history as recorded in the Bible, the Holy Spirit was upon David. He won great battles, for example. Reading on at verse 26, we see that the Holy Spirit reveals to him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit, that he would not see death until he had seen the Lord's Christ, the Lord's Messiah, the Lord's Anointed One. The Lord who said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool from Psalm 110. He would not die until he had seen this one. And he doesn't see this one at the head of a great army. He doesn't see this one surrounded by worshipping angels. He sees this one as a baby brought into the temple by people who are in many ways, and I'm not trying to speak down about Mary and Joseph, but people who are in many ways very common. Mary and Joseph could have walked in and out of the gates of Jerusalem every day of the week and no one would have paid them a speck of extra attention unless they happened to already know them. 
a baby carried in by a pair of common folk. The Holy Spirit was upon him, where it says that the that this was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. It says it was revealed to him literally under the Holy Spirit, under the power of the Holy Spirit. This man was a faithful man who had um, a very close walk with God. How else could you describe it? This man literally had a very, very close walk with God, that it could be said that God the Holy Spirit himself revealed things directly to him that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. God had given him, as it were, an object upon which to fix his faith, the fulfilment of the promises of Scripture, the sending of the son, the sending of the seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent, the revealing of God's Messiah who holds the scepter in his right hand. God had said to him, you will see this one. You will go to your grave in peace, knowing that you have seen salvation. Verse 27, and he came in the spirit into the temple. Really interesting little phrase. He came in the spirit into the temple. Just turn in your Bible and have a look at a few other places where the same phrase is used. We'll go first of all to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12. We start reading at verse 35, Mark, chapter 12, verse 35. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself, in the Holy Spirit, declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord, so how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. What you're looking at there is Jesus quoting from Psalm 110 concerning himself. But verse 36, look at how Jesus speaks of King David writing a psalm that's recorded in Scripture. David himself in the Holy Spirit declared. Think about this. What's that mean then? Well, David was, to use a phrase used by Peter, carried along by the Holy Spirit, writing according to the words and the will of God. David was given ability to say things that were beyond his human ability. David was given ability to see things that were beyond his human ability. After all, the psalm itself is recording for us a conversation in the Godhead, as it were. Now, I stop and I just point out, this is for our benefit. You know, a conversation in the Godhead. I can have a conversation with you, my mouth moves, I make a noise, your ears hear the noise, you interpret the noise, speak back to me, we're having a conversation. God is spirit. Father, Son and Holy Spirit are spirit. The Son is now truly God and truly man, but at the time that David was given the psalm, this is, a, this is, this is as it were, 
a human expression of a purely spiritual relationship. And so for our benefit, David writes in the spirit, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. He was in the spirit. David was in the spirit. And so he he was given the ability to know things about God that apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, he would not know. He would have no way of knowing these things. He would have no way of eavesdropping upon this conversation. He was in the spirit. Turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 1. We'll start at verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants, the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John to the seven churches that are in Asia. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion for ever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds. And every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him, even so. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Verse 9. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos, on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard me, heard behind me, a loud voice like a trumpet. We'll stop there. The book of Revelation, all that John saw, all that John knew, all that John learned, these things came to him in the spirit. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. So looking back into the Gospel of Luke and at chapter 2, where we're told that Simeon was in the spirit. And he came, verse 27, in the spirit into the temple. Now, I'll just point out, anyone reading the New King James or the King James, it'll say he came by the spirit into the temple. You still got exactly the same word back there in your Greek text. It is literally he came in the spirit, in by the power of the Holy Spirit, if you wanted to try and stretch it out and drag in all of its meaning. But it's it's saying exactly the same. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him, according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms. And there we have it, where I started this little message, took him up in his arms. A man, possibly an old man, for he spoke of his death as though it may be coming soon. A man holding in his hands the creator of the universe. It really is amazing. It really is one of the more amazing things recorded in scripture. 
I would count that as more amazing than having seen an exorcism or a healing. This man held in his hands the one who created the man. Think of it that way. He held his own creator in his hands and he was truly God and truly man. He took him up and blessed God. He gave a good word about God. He spoke, saying, verse 29. Now, understand, Luke has told us that this has come in the spirit. And therefore, he wants us to understand that this has come by and under the power of God's Holy Spirit. And these words are to be received as the very words of God. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. And we've got to stop there. There's, there's something to see here. Just that tiny little phrase. Now you are letting your servant depart in peace. Turn to the book of Genesis, chapter 15. God makes covenant with Abram. God amazingly commits himself and his own life to be Abram's God. But we're not going to go through that whole passage. If we just go to Genesis chapter 15 and verse 15. As for you, God speaking to Abram, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. Who were his fathers? Well, his fathers were the saints who had come before him. Noah was his father. Faithful Noah, who found favour in the sight of God, was his father. And any others who were preachers of the truth from Noah down to Abram, whoever they were, they were his fathers. You shall go to your fathers in peace. Simeon speaks of departing in peace. Departing in the right relationship with God. God promised the last good king of Judah, Josiah, that he would go to his fathers in peace, that he would die in peace. He wasn't promising that there would be no wars and no troubles in Josiah's life. He was promising that Josiah would die in a right relationship with his God, that he would have nothing to fear in death, for God would be with him, even as he walked through the valley of the shadow of death. Jesus in John chapter 8 said, your father Abram, speaking to the Jews, your father Abram rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Turning back to Luke chapter 2, Simeon is speaking of dying in the faith of Abram. The belief in the promises of God, the belief that God would provide salvation, the belief that God would save his own people. Simeon shared in the faith of all true believers. According to your word. And how do we know God's word? Well, we've got it here in the Holy Scriptures. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. He's looking at a baby. He's looking at a baby. Think of that. He's not looking at a king at the head of an army. He's not looking at the... The, the greatest physical warrior that the world had ever seen. He's looking at a baby. My eyes have seen your salvation. Now, a baby 
well, let's talk about in the world today, what's a baby? I mean, get away from the, 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 the muck sentiment that people talk about. You know, you'll see it in the newspapers or hear it on TV. Or, oh, precious, beautiful, beloved little baby. How could anyone hate that baby? Baby, 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 blah, blah, blah. We love babies. Oh, so babies should not be killed in the womb? Get out of that, don't they? Don't you interfere in a person's personal business. That's a woman's decision between her and her doctor. Well, which is it? Was it not a baby before it was born? Did it only become a baby when it took a breath and went wah? It's a baby from the moment of conception because baby is just another word to describe a human at a certain age. Babies are nothing in this world. Babies are slaughtered in this world. The cells of babies are used to make medicines and sometimes even foods in this world. Babies are nothing. And in the ancient world, especially in the Roman world, unless they were actually wanted, because they were heathen pagans like our societies are around about us today, babies were nothing. If you didn't want a baby that was born, you did what was called expose the child. Expose the child means you left it on the streets to be picked up by whatever. Scavenging beasts, scavenging people. By the grace of God, when the church was born, sometimes even Christians picked up those unwanted babies and raised them. But you exposed the child. Only people of faith, only people upon whom God the Holy Spirit has rested, only people who see things God's way, truly see the value of a baby. And this baby, oh my, Simeon saw the value of this baby. My eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. Simeon's Simeon's got a lot more, a, a, a broader faith than most of the Jews around about him, that's for sure. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. What is the best thing about the Jewish nation, the Jewish peoples, the biological descendants of Abram? What is their most praiseworthy point? What is it that will always be held up as the greatest thing that God ever did with them and through them? And the answer is, in that nation, from those people, was born the Lord Jesus Christ, the Saviour, the one who is truly God, and truly man. From that people, all the nations of the world have been blessed by the gospel. And so what is the glory of Israel? It's Jesus himself. What is the glory of biological Israel, the genetic descendants of Abram? It's that from their people, from their ethnicity, came forth God's saviour. Verse 33, and his father and his mother marvelled at what was said about him. They were stunned. I mean, this had been no normal birth. Mary had conceived in her virginity by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had overshadowed her. 
Shepherds had come to the birthplace, speaking of choirs of angels, and had worshipped him. We're not exactly certain when the wise men turn up. I I realise in your nativity scenes, the shepherds and the wise men are all there at the same time, but the scripture doesn't actually present it to us in that way. The wise men are spoken of in the book of Matthew, not in the book of Luke, and they could have come sometime later. All of these things were unusual. And now Joseph and Mary, who in their own minds would have been insignificant people, where, you know, they would not have seen themselves as important upper class people that should attract attention wherever they go. They walk into the temple and this devout man comes straight to them, to the baby, and says these words. And so they marvelled. Somebody knows something about this. God has always got his witnesses in the world. Verse 34, and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother. So now Mary's going to know a little bit more about this babe to whom she has given birth. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. This salvation that God is working, it's not going to be an easy ride down a peaceful river looking at beautiful scenery is the way I'd try and put this. The fall and rising of many in Israel who will fall, all who refuse to hear him all who refuse to obey him. In Isaiah chapter 50, 10, we read, Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Who fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? To fear the Lord is to obey Jesus, the servant. When when Jesus was confronted by the priests just before his crucifixion. And they asked him, tell us plainly, are you the Messiah? What did Jesus say to them? You will know on the day when you see me seated at the right hand of power on high, coming in the clouds. You'll know on that day that I am who I say I am. You will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power on high, coming in the clouds, and you will know. Those priests, they fell. When Jerusalem was destroyed, they were destroyed with it. The fall and the rising of many in Israel. Think of Peter. Think of Peter, a fisherman. Not what you would call the most stable of characters when you read his what we know of him in the scriptures. One minute good, the next minute bad. One minute strong, the next minute weak. One minute boasting, the next minute running away. Peter, he becomes the leader of the apostles, the chief preacher, the founder of churches. The rising of many. The fall and the rising of many. It all revolves around their attitude towards, their reception of, their understanding of 
who this baby is that Simeon is holding in his hands. The fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. (laughs) Even today. Just think about it today. What's the only possible way to be a rebel in today's society? There's only one possible form of rebellion in today's society. It's to be a faithful, obedient Christian. Because nothing else is condemned. You can be trapped in any kind of sexual perversion, drug addiction, dishonesty, you name it. They're all just, for some people, they're little problems or they're they're to be fully approved, totally approved. No one is to speak against them. But, oh, no, you want to be a Christian? You want to tell people that God created the heavens and the earth? He created them in six days. He rested on the seventh day, that God has appointed a saviour, that his name is Jesus, that he commands that you repent, put your faith in Jesus, seek forgiveness of your sins and await his return. You want to obey the commands of God. You want to live a life that's decent and clean according to the standards set down by God. You want to do what's right according to the Holy Scriptures. That's the only rebel in this world today. We're the rebels. We're the only ones that stand against the darkness and the decline of humanity all around about us. We're the rebels. A sign that is opposed. And then he makes this little aside to Mary. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also. It's like he looked forward 30 odd years because we're told that Mary was at the cross. Mary saw this son of hers die. And we're not told just how much she understood of it at that moment. Did she understand that it was necessary that he die? Did she understand that it was necessary that his blood be spilt upon the earth? Did she understand that it was necessary that he wear the stripes of sinners? In other words, the beating of the Romans? I'm sure that later on she understood. But at that moment, a mother watched her son die the most hideous death that can be imagined. A sword pierced through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. A person's heart is revealed through their relationship to Jesus, to their relationship to his word. Let's read on. I'll try and cover the last bit fairly quickly. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshipping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. There's a bit of a um, question about how old this woman was. It's either saying until she was 84 or she had lived 84 years on from the death of her husband, which means she was at least 91. And then if she had been married married as a young teenage girl, she would have been married, let's say, the age of 13. That would make her 104. Not quite sure if... The, the, the language is actually not crystal clear. It's either saying that at this moment she was 84 or it's saying that she had been a widow for 84 years. If she'd been a widow for 84 years, you had seven years of marriage. She was 91. 
and then you add the age that she was when she was married, most likely 12, 13, you get to a woman who's over 100. It's possible. Anna, the daughter of Fenuel of the tribe of Asher, she actually knew her heritage. Somehow or other, her family had preserved its genealogical heritage. Advanced in years, a woman who had lived alone. She hadn't remarried. No one had taken her to wife after her husband had died. She did not depart from the temple. Now, I don't think she lived in the temple. I don't think she had a <coughs> a swag or a sleeping bag or a little tent in the corner, as it were. I think they're sort of saying that she couldn't stay away from the place. She woke up and the first thing she did was headed for the temple, there to pray with fasting, night and day, constantly. This woman was a lover and a worshipper of God. Why? For all the same reasons that Simeon was a lover and a worshipper of God. Notice that she's described in a very similar way. We're told that Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. We're told that Anna was waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So Anna has come to the temple Verse 38, and coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God. So Anna comes up at that time, sees this baby, hears the words of Simeon, sees, as it were, the family, Joseph, Mary, Jesus, Jesus, God, the Son of God, God taken upon himself flesh. And she started to give thanks to God. Why? Well, just like Simeon, she had been waiting. And what she had been waiting for has finally come. God's salvation. Waiting, 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 knowing that God will answer the prayers of his faithful people, knowing that God will rescue his people, knowing that God will found his church, knowing that God will save his people. Waiting, 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 evil and wickedness all around her. Waiting, waiting, waiting. The priesthood, basically faithless. Waiting, waiting, waiting. The Romans ruling over her nation with a brutal hand. Waiting, waiting, waiting. Evil and wickedness done everywhere. She's waiting, waiting, waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem, the holy heavenly city. And remember, this is a woman with faith. Just as Abram was looking for more than a city upon this earth, as we're told in the book of Hebrews, she was looking for more than just the city of Jerusalem in Judah. The heavenly Jerusalem, waiting, waiting, waiting for the redemption. And so what I want us to see, I don't know about you, but I wait. And I long for God to bring an end to this present evil age. And I'm waiting and I'm praying for God to bring the madness to its end. I'm waiting even now for God to hear our prayers concerning the madness that seems to have descended upon those who govern us. If you asked me, I would say we're at this moment being governed by legion. That spirit. For they are many. This madness in our nation at this time Waiting, waiting, waiting for the answer of prayer. Waiting till the day in the long run. What are we waiting for? We want to worship Jesus in person. The one who is both truly God and truly man. 
Now, we know by faith that when we worship, we worship in the very presence of God. We know that when we pray, our prayers are, as it were, being heard in the very throne room of God, that we have access to the the holy of holies, the most holy of holies, and we're welcome. We're in through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But even so, as the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 8 that we read earlier, we're waiting for the redemption of our bodies, the completion of our salvation. When you and I, as completed, perfected people, can walk into the very presence of God with Jesus our Lord, worship at his feet, love him, touch him, our King, our God, our Saviour, We're waiting. Faithful people wait with hope for the answer of their prayers. And my friends, that which we are waiting for, it has been promised by God and it will surely come. So we should be comforted. We should be rejoicing in God's goodness. And though the world around us seems to be given over to darkness and madness, even so, King Jesus rules and reigns and he will return. And who but knows if he might not hear our prayers even now and grant this nation repentance and faith. Let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, I pray that we, your people, could be filled with your Holy Spirit and that our lives could be characterised by holy, faithful, hopeful waiting knowing that you hear our prayers and waiting for the answers, knowing that you will fulfil your word and waiting for the day that we will see it with our very own eyes. Father, we thank you and we praise you that we have this salvation through Jesus our Lord and we pray that we would walk in it for the rest of our lives by the power of your spirit. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.